This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. I personally doubt whether there's anybody here at the sound of my voice who knows and loves Jesus, who has not experienced some time in their life. They have not grown through a season in their life where they come to a point of distrusting in God's timing, distrusting in God's promises, and distrusting in God's provision, and distrusting of God's protection. And at this point, at this time, the season of distrusting, you were tempted to take things into your hands, and you made a mess of it. In my case, I made a big mess. I know that. But thank God the story does not end here. Thank God that is not the end of the story. I think most of us would testify to the fact that our gracious Heavenly Father, out of sheer grace, picks up all the broken pieces and creates a masterpiece. Beloved, I have learned through the years, and if I've learned anything, it would be this. Whenever I try to short-circuit God's plans in my life, whenever I try to short-circuit God's purpose for my life, whenever I try to short-circuit God's vision for my life, I go through unnecessary pain, unnecessary suffering, and discontentment. Short-circuiting and shortcuts never works for me, and I know they don't work for you either. Abraham, in a momentary, momentary distrust in the provision of God, goes down to Egypt, and he creates a mess for himself and for his family until the grace of God overruled. Moses, in a momentary, not trusting in God's timing, which led to him languishing in the land of Midian for 40 years until the grace of God overruled and brought him back. Short-circuiting God's plan can take you far, far, far away from your home in Christ. But thank God that His grace always, always, how many times? Always, always calling you to come home. Always calling you to come home. In the book of Ruth, you find a reminder of the incredible, indescribable, unfathomable grace of God. You see a reminder of how His grace overruled the foolish decisions to take matters into their own hand. And I'm beginning the short series today. I hope you're not going to miss any of it. This is a story of a nice Jewish family who lived during the wild days of the book of Judges. In case you don't know about the book of Judges and the time of the Judges, I want to tell you a few things about that. It was a period of time after Joshua died, who is the successor of Moses, and before the coming of the prophet Samuel and the ushering of the period of the kings. Those were terrible days for God's people. They were days not unlike our days. Those were the days of which the Bible says everyone was doing what is right in their own eyes. Uh, Those were days when their faith in Yahweh gave way to the religion 
of tolerance. There were days of moral relativism, where that moral relativism invaded their campuses. Those were the days of denial of biblical morality, even in the church. Those were the days of tolerance of sexual deviation, which was protected by the Supreme Court. Even good people shrugged their shoulders and said, what can I do? What can I do? Consequently, they got themselves into trouble again and again and again. And then they would cry to God, and every time God would send them a deliverer whom they called the judge. But as soon as their trouble was over, as soon as danger is gone, as soon as they begin to experience peace and prosperity again, they turn their backs on Yahweh and turn to the gods, fertility gods of Canaan. In the midst of this wholesale departure from biblical truth, we read about this family, a family that tried to short-circuit their way into prosperity in times of trouble. But alas, they ended up in the dead-end road of tragedy, sorrow, and pain. But again, bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This story is not the end. This part is not the end of the story. You will see the amazing grace of God overrules and overrides even our foolish decisions and the shortcuts and the short-circuiting. You will see how the grace of God brings good out of evil. You'll see how the grace of God brings joy out of bitterness and sorrow. You'll see by the end of this short series of messages how the grace of God can bring out of pain, grief, and sorrow the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. This family name was Eli Malik. Eli, that's the name of God, Eli. Malik, king. God is my king. That's the name of this family. God is my king. And yet, alas, they did not live up to this name. This family thought that they were buying their ticket into prosperity. They're buying their ticket into paradise. (laughs) But they ended up in the graveyards of Moab. Here are some truths that you need to know. If you think that you can become a discerning believer without spending time with the Word of God and in the Word of God, please think again. If you think that you can be a godly man or a godly woman without intimacy with God on a daily basis, please think again. If you think that you can make good and wise decisions for your life without obedience to the Word of God, I'm begging you, think again. If you think that you can substitute your success at any cost with integrity and character, please think again. If you think that you can get away with consuming all of God's blessings yourself and expecting God to keep on blessing you without sharing with His work, I want you to think again. If you do not trust God with your tithe and with your offerings and expecting God continuous blessings, I am pleading with you, think again. 
Think again. The book of Ruth is a magnificent little book. It was named after a Gentile woman, Ruth. I'm going to explain this as we unfold the series of messages together. It's an amazing grace of God because it teaches us a great deal about how God cares for an ordinary believer. It teaches us that our extraordinary God can do great and extraordinary things with an ordinary believer. Now, three things I want to share with you from chapter 1. Three things. Write them down if you're taking notes. Whenever you short-circuit or you try to short-circuit God's plan or God's will for your life, there is an initial comfort in that process. There's an initial comfort. I'm going to come to this. Secondly, there is an inevitable consequences to short-circuiting God's plan for your life. Thirdly, there is an indisputable cure. Listen, there is a euphoria. There is an initial comfort in getting away from the will of God and doing your thing. I'm not going to deny that. Elimelech's family thought that the grass was greener on the other side of the septic tank. So they left the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means, Beth, house, lachem in Hebrew. Bread, the house of bread. They left the house of bread and went to Moab. Why? Why? Because they ran out of food. And when they ran out of food in Bethlehem, they looked for solutions outside of God's promises. They looked for solutions outside of God's people. They looked for solutions outside of the land of promise. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. How you act and what you do when you are facing crisis situation in your life says a great deal about your spiritual discernment. Elimelech did not take the family into another part of the promised land, that would have been fine, because this is the land of promise. God promised it to Abraham. God promised it to Abraham's descendants. They could have gone to another part of the land of promise, but they didn't. They went to enemy's territory. (laughs) They went to the pagans. Let me tell you about Moab. Moab is today in modern Jordan. I've been on both sides of the Dead Sea. (laughs) I've seen them from both sides. It's 10 miles. That's all it is. It's a short trip. Not too far geographically, but listen to me. Spiritually, it's the other side of the world. On a clear day, you could stand and see the fields of Moab from the ridges of Bethlehem. I've done it. Oh, these green fields of Moab were beckoning dear old Elimelech and his family. Day after day, Day after day, he looks on the other side and sees the green land, and he says, this is where I should go. These bright green lands were inviting him. When that situation kept on going on for a while, Elimelech could not resist the temptation anymore. He just couldn't resist. So he packed the family camel wagon, and they headed for Moab. Question, why not wait for the Lord? Why not trust God to provide? You read in the book of Deuteronomy and all the promises of God that He gave to Moses, all the promises of God to Israel. 
why not keep on trusting in the promises of God? That He never leave you nor forsake you. Why do you have to go into enemy's territory? Why not believe the promises of God given to Israel through Moses? Here's another question. What's wrong with Moab? Yeah, one city as good as the other. One town is as good as the other. It doesn't matter. Yahweh is everywhere. What's wrong with Moab? (laughs) You see, everyone was thinking about Moab. Eli did it. He just went over there. He didn't just think about it. He did it. But what's wrong with Moab? Well, the people of Moab had no moral compass. Everything goes in Moab. There was no preacher to rebuke people that they're going the wrong way and need to come back. As long as they don't forget about Yahweh and remember Him on occasions or in the high and holy days, they will be all right. As long as they think that they're good people, uh, that belong to the people of God, doesn't matter where they are, they'll be okay. As long as there is mutual consent, it's okay. No. I want to say to him, Abimelech, God through Moses said that he blesses obedience. Read the book of Deuteronomy. He would say to me, oh, Michael, Michael, you don't understand. We don't call it disobedience anymore. We call it go with the flow. Oh, Michael, you don't understand. This is the direction the whole culture is going. You don't understand. This cold times have changed. I'll never forget to the day I die. Back in 1991, when I was brought before a denominational tribunal, my guilt, I'm preaching the Word of God. My sin, I said the Bible, is the inspired and fallible Word of God. My sin is that there is no way to heaven except through Jesus. So I was brought before the tribunal. One of the bishops, who genuinely, I can tell you, I can tell from his genuine face looking at me, he genuinely liked me, and he genuinely meant what he said when he looked at me, and he said, Michael, I really feel sorry for you. You haven't, like a student who enrolled in college, and the curriculum has changed, and you're still operating in the old curriculum. I said to him, thank you, Bishop. My curriculum is the inspired, infallible Word of God, and it's never changing. A few days later, I was defrocked. And on a badge I gladly wear in the past nearly 30 years. Don't ever forget the days of judges. Even the faithful believers, even the faithful believers, felt that they're caught between obeying God on the one hand and trusting in the fertility gods of Canaan on the other. Today, people can pack the pews, pack the churches when there is a national crisis. But as soon as the crisis is over, they go back to Baal worship. Elimelech and his wife and two boys were just beginning to get comfortable in the land of Moab. Remember, there is what? Initial comfort. Remember that. When you short-circuit the will of God and the Word of God, there is 
initial comfort. Initial comfort. Can you say that with me? Initial comfort. Oh, in their newfound prosperity in Moab, we're just beginning. Things are really going to get good for me here. And just as they were enjoying their new life of prosperity in Moab, tragedy struck. Remember, short-circuiting God's plan has an initial comfort. The Bible said sin is pleasurable for a moment. See, the Bible doesn't deny that. They're for a moment. But the consequences are the consequences. And that's what I come to secondly here, the inevitable consequences. Please hear me right. Any comfort outside of the will of God for your life has deadly consequences. I know it. I've experienced it. I tried to run away from God as far as I could. Any comfort from the shadow and the shelter of the Almighty has disastrous results. And so verse 3, 4, and 5, look at them with me, please. There is an immediate consequence, and then there is a long-term consequence. And hear what I know from the Word of God and from my own failures. Here's what I know. These consequences come as a surprise to a sinning believer. They really do. Whoa! What happened? What happened? What happened to me? Why is this happening to me, Lord? Where are you, God? He's never moved. Did you know that? You moved. He didn't. Dear old Naomi. Now she's a widow. She's widowed. And so when she was widowed, she placed her hope in her two sons. They'll provide for her. But the two boys were even more comfortable in the land of Moab than their father was because they married two pagan girls. The Old Testament is very clear not to marry a non-Jewish person. The New Testament is even clearer. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And so short-circuiting God's plan and God's purpose not only has an initial comfort, but also has inevitable consequences. Oh, don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Verse 4, they were there for 10 years. God waited and waited. Then He waited some more. Listen to me. He may be waiting for you. And you are here by divine appointment because God wants to say, I'm not going to wait forever. You are in your own Moab, whatever your Moab is, and it's different for every one of us. You might be comfortable in Moab now. You might have thought that God had forgotten where you are spiritually now, but He hasn't. He doesn't. He loves you too much. He loves you too much to leave you in your Moab. Let me ask you this. What is your Moab? What is your Moab? Your Moab could be a relationship that is not honoring to the Lord. Your Moab could be a friendship that is dragging you down spiritually. Your Moab may be a distrust in God's promises. Your Moab may be your placing of your feelings, your ideas, and your thinking, and your emotions above what God said. 
Your Moab may be unfaithfulness with God's blessings. Your Moab may be a complete self-absorption. Whatever your Moab may be, you can come home to Jesus. You can come home to Jesus. Can you say that with me? You can come home to Jesus. You can do it today. God's patience with you is His way of wooing you to come back. Come back. Come back from your spiritual Moab. Let me tell you a couple of things about spiritual Moabs, just in case you don't know. Figuratively speaking, Moab has a way of making a short stay to be a long-term one. Figuratively speaking, Moab has a way of saying to you, do it just this once. Once it's over, you don't have to do it again. And then before you know it, you are in Moab's clutches. Figuratively speaking, Moab has a way of saying, there's plenty of time to live holy and pure life. There's plenty of time only to discover that time has gone. Here in Moab, after ten years, Elimelech, Naomi, and their two boys intended to go to Moab for a short period of time, just for that one bad crop year. But they found themselves entrenched in Moab. You know, it's something was the Bible said, and particularly in Peter, about Lot. The Bible said Lot was vexed. That's a beautiful English word. He was torn apart between the godliness of his uncle Abraham that he wanted to be and between the lifestyle of Sodomites. As a matter of fact, if you read carefully in the book of Genesis, you read first that Lot came close to Sodom. And the next part you read that he was now moved outside the gates of Sodom. And then the last time you hear about him, he is inside Sodom. Verse 5, after the father died, in rapid succession, both boys die. Now, try to put yourself in Naomi's place. She comes into this utopia with her husband and two sons, but she loses all of them, all of them. There is no support for her. Back then, as you heard me say many times, widows who have no male members to support them, were really worse than being destitute. And here you find Naomi in a strange place, a stranger. And she felt it for the first time, now that her support base gone in a strange country. The first thing, there is what? Initial comfort. There is inevitable consequences. But praise God, there is the third. There's indisputable cure. Indisputable. Indisputable. And those of us who have experienced it can testify to you. Indisputable cure. Do you know what the cure is? Honestly, there are only two words. All the mumbo-jumbos and all the big theological terms and everything else is fine, but I'm a simple guy. Two words. The indisputable cure. Go home. Say it with me. I know people say you can't go home again. Well, in the physical sense, yes, but spiritually, it's the only way. Home is your only place to go. 
It's the only cure to your soul. It's the only spiritual healing that you're going to receive. It's the only way to happiness and joy and peace. Come home. Come home. Naomi was not just at the bottom of the barrel. The barrel actually crashed on her <laughs> and with an overwhelming force. In her experience of bitterness, she wanted to go home. Look at verses 8 and 9. She asked both of her daughters-in-law to go back to their homes and find other husbands. One of them decided to just do that. Oh, but Ruth, <laughs> beautiful Ruth, lovely Ruth, loyal Ruth, would not leave her mother-in-law. Ladies, I need to explain this. It's a very personal thing. It's my opinion, so take it or leave it. Do whatever you want with it. I, for one, never, never condemned Naomi for feeling bitter. Never. 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 In fact, I admire her candor. We need to be real with God. But here's a piece of advice. Before you place the blame on God, find out, find out if you had a hand in what happened. Are you with me? I know, I know, I know there's some things happened to us. We had nothing to do with what we did or did not do. It has nothing to do with us, really. Many things happened totally out of our control. But there are times when things happen as a natural consequence of something we've done. It may be something happened years ago, and you may have even forgotten about it. But then years later, it raises its ugly head. But Ruth made an ironclad commitment to Naomi and to Naomi's God. Beloved, listen to me. God honors those who keep their word and keep their commitments. And the truth is this. Naomi's faith was such that it made an impact, made her faith attractive to Ruth. Naomi's testimony and her truthfulness led her daughter-in-law into wanting to follow Naomi's God. Ruth saw Naomi's God to be a loving God, to be a forgiving God, to be a restoring God, to be the God of new beginnings, to be the God of second and a hundred and a thousand chances. Amen. Although Naomi, whose name means pleasant, if your name is Naomi, now you, this is a freebie on the house. <laughs> your name means pleasant. That's what Naomi means in Hebrew. But then she said, don't call me Naomi anymore because I'm not pleasant. I'm a Mara. Mara, from, remember when the kings came from the east and brought three gifts to Jesus? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, bitter. And that was to predict his cross. Bitter. And the word Mara, it's the same in all three Semitic languages, Arabic, Aramaic, and Hebrew. Bitter. Naomi was in pain. But she did not stop caring. Verse 9. She prayed for her daughters-in-law. She might have been coming home without a husband, without two sons. But she was coming home with a faithful daughter-in-law. And in verses 19 to 22, mark it in your Bible. You see, 
the two women, make the only decision that pleases God. Let me tell you something. You might not be sure if your decision is pleasing God or not. There's one decision you can make that I promise you on the authority of God's Word that pleases God. Come home. Say it with me again. And so they come home, and we're going to see the unfolding of how God honored that decision of coming home. I want to conclude by telling you this true story. Some of you remember the name Dr. E.V. Hill. (laughs) He was truly a wonderful man of God, served God so faithfully, and he told this story about a mother in New Jersey found herself alone when her husband walked out on her with a rebellious daughter. Finally, when the daughter, when she became old enough, she packed her bags and left home. For weeks and months, the mother prayed and searched for her daughter to no avail. For months, she knew nothing about where, whereabouts of her daughter She called friends. She called relatives. But no one would tell her where her daughter was. And one day a family member felt sorry for her, and he told her, he said, your daughter is in London, England, living as a prostitute. She sold all that she could sell, got a ticket, traveled to London, England, with a picture of her daughter, and went from pub to pub to pub, showing the picture to the bartenders. Have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? And finally, a bartender in one of those pubs said to her, she said, wait a minute. I see her coming here occasionally. She doesn't come regularly, but I see her coming on occasions. And the woman said, good enough. She goes to the poster board in the back of the pub, and she pins that picture of her daughter with the caption underneath, come home. Come home. A few weeks later, the daughter comes into that pub, half drunk, bloodshot eyes, and she looks up and she sees her own picture. She recognizes her own picture, and she kept saying, who, who brought this here? Who brought this picture here? Where did this picture come from? And then she peered into the caption and said, come home. And she realized when the bartender told her there was a woman who came here looking for you the other day, she kept asking if anybody had seen you. She realized that was his mama. Her mama spent all her fortune to get out on a plane and go to London looking for her wayward daughter. She sat there and she sobbed until she could cry no more. Gathered her belonging and she came home to her mama. Now, beloved, please listen to me. I'm about to finish. Jesus, the Son of God, came all the way from heaven for you. God's Son shed His blood on that cross for you. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, however long you've been away, Jesus is saying to you, come home. His arms open on that cross is an indication of His longing for you to come home. Welcome home. Welcome home. 